Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This show is brought to you by CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Check it out for the ultimate in commercial real estate brokerage training. Learn more at CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Well, today we're going to talk about apartments, about the multifamily world. Please welcome my guest. It's Carl Whitaker, Senior Manager of Marketing Analytics with RealPage. Carl, thanks for joining us, sir. Thanks, Michael. Always a pleasure. Glad to be here. Well, Carl, I, I'm really curious about really performance overall of the apartment world across the U.S. Here we are in really late November of 2021. Uh, there's still some, you know, pandemic, you know, repercussions here, right? You know, what do you see per performance overall? Yeah, I know we, uh, you and I had the the pleasure of speaking a few months ago, and it's crazy that it's already Thanksgiving, just the years flying by, but. Um, what we're seeing in the apartment market is really a lot more of the same that we said back in the summer months. Really strong demand is fueling a lot of excellent rent growth. Occupancy rates have uh, certainly more than stabilized in a lot of these markets. And in fact, in many instances, uh, occupancy is at an all-time high. So, uh, you know, the, 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 the market outlook is great right now. We are starting to see things cool off a little bit from that late summer peak. But that's not necessarily a surprise. That just typically follows that normal seasonal pattern. So I don't think it's necessarily that the industry is seeing a fundamental cool down more so than it's just your normal seasonal pattern starting to take hold. Right. So your performance then is, is going well. Yours, your apartment market, it's all because of you, Carl. Um, <laughs> so your forecast moving forward into 2022 is positive. Yeah, it would definitely have a positive outlook. Um, the one one caution that I would uh, issue is that if comparing 2022 to 2021 directly, there may be a little bit of disappointment. It's just you're comparing what we are expecting to be an excellent year to what was a record year. And I think it's just that, that comparison may not be fair. But even then, we're still forecasting rent growth that over the past decade would have been a peak if it weren't for the pandemic. Uh, you know, we're looking at occupancy that's uh, 100 to 150 basis points above long-term norms in most markets. So uh, the outlook is still really good. It's just probably a little bit less uh, tapered off from what we saw in 2021. Yeah. And we have a group here that sells multifamily in the Southeast. And in some of the Southeast markets, take Atlanta, for example, we're seeing really incredible rent growth. It just seems to be off the charts in the properties that we're involved in. You know, what are you seeing? Are you rent for rent growth, uh, you know, now compared to what you've seen in the past? Yeah, it's we, we're seeing a similar trend where those southeast markets and, and, and Florida in particular has just totally uh, popped here as of the past few months. And uh, I think I was looking at a stat the other day that of the top 20 rent growth markets in the country, something like nine of them were in Florida. And, you know, two or three of those additional ones were in other southeast markets. So really excellent performance there. Uh, when you go out west, some of those mountain and desert markets like Phoenix, Tucson, Salt Lake City, seeing really excellent performance there, too. Uh, the one thing I would note is, though, that we've already or I, should, I shouldn't say already, we're beginning to see 
um, stability occurring in some of those really hard hit coastal gateway markets, areas like New York, Boston, San Francisco, you're starting to see that recovery really take shape now. And it's, it's, it's going to be a longer path to full recovery in those markets. But essentially everywhere across the country, minus maybe a handful of energy dependent markets are really seeing performance that's uh, at or comfortably above long-term norms. So the properties in the high-rise apartments, let's think about in the, in the big cities, right? The Chicago's, the New York, the Los Angeles, obviously they took some hit during COVID, but you're seeing now, and even in those downtown central district markets, that demand has really come back. Yeah, demand has really come back in a big way. And, you know, I think there's a few components feeding that. Some of that could be returning to office. You know, even if you're going into the office once or twice a week, you still want to be within earshot. Maybe you don't have to be next door like you were um, in 2019 and prior, but you still want to be around. And, you know, the urban core, I think a lot of the stories that the urban core is dead um, that uh, came out in 2020 were probably overblown. You know, we've seen this happen before where an urban core takes a big hit. You know, there's uh, there's um, prognosticators out there saying, okay, you know, we're we're seeing demographic tailwinds come apart now, and it's not really that. It's just you, you know, with with the pandemic in particular. Uh, impacting higher density areas, we saw those areas take a bigger hit last year. But now that we're starting to see things normalize, those urban cores, like you said, Michael, those high rise assets uh, are starting to see a, a performance rebound. And, and in fact, in many instances, uh, it's not uncommon to see those high rise assets actually leading the market for rent growth and occupancy improvement. It's still going to be a little bit before those rent rolls get back to some of the suburban asset levels, but we're at least seeing that recovery take shape today. What about um, unit mix? Where, where is the demand and how's that trended, you know, as far as, you know, one bedroom versus two or three bedroom units? Yeah, with, uh, with the work from home phenomenon, it's been really interesting to see how this one versus, you know, two and three bedroom phenomenons played out. Uh, this time last year and maybe a little bit earlier in 2020, we saw efficiency apartments and one bedroom apartments in particular really take an occupancy hit. Maybe a little bit less so in some of your southeast markets and some of your Sunbelt metros, but uh, especially in those coastal gateway markets, we saw one bedrooms and your studios take a big occupancy hit whereas your two and three bedrooms didn't take as big of a hit. And I think what was feeding that is for one, you had the work from home phenomenon, somebody that was living in a studio, maybe now needed a little bit more space. They needed an office in their apartment. So perhaps move to a two bedroom. I think you also had some folks that were uh, making some financially prudent decisions and trying to save money, uh, moving from a one bedroom to a two bedroom, or maybe even a three bedroom and splitting rent with those roommates. Now we're starting to see that trend come back to where one bedroom occupancy is really starting to improve. Uh, whether that's folks that moved out because they got sick of their roommate over the past year, uh, whether that's people maybe moving back into the urban core and uh, starting to spend less time in their apartment, you know that could be part of the trend. But it's been really encouraging to see bedroom uh, bedroom top performance stabilize across the board rather than just a handful of. Uh, floor plans exceeding and some um, uh, lagging. Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned that properties in the urban core are really coming back strong and that, that the one bedroom demand and studio demand is coming back. 
uh, because there's still a lot of office workers who are, are working at home. We just did a show on the office market and talked to a huge landlord around the country, and there's still uh, the majority of his tenants are, are not in the spaces. So is this demand potentially for uh, urban core apartments and smaller apartments in town coming back? I mean, is that the canary in the coal mine? <laughs> the opposite of that. Is that really good news for maybe some of these downtowns that they're not really dead? Yeah, I wonder what the inverse of a canary in a coal mine would be. Maybe a, an eagle in the sky. Or, um, there you go. But it, is, it actually is a good question. You know, I think there may be a little bit more room to grow in some of those urban performance readings if more people return back to the office. And again, you're going to want to be at least within earshot um, of the office if you're going in once or twice a week. So I think that could be a trend that we want to watch, uh, but we certainly think it's going to be a little bit longer before we see demand um, that is primarily office driven and, and into the apartment space that is into, in terms of rent, uh, renters moving back. I think it's going to be a little bit of time before we see that get back to pre-pandemic levels. And in our pre-show discussions, uh, you had a great uh, coin to phrase, Zoom towns. <laughs> Tell us about Zoom towns, Carl. Yeah, this Zoomtown phenomenon has been one that we've been hearing about. I think we heard some murmurs of it in the summer, and it seems like the past few months it's just a, a term that's becoming uh, common vernacular. And uh, for those who maybe haven't heard the term or aren't familiar, Zoomtowns is this phenomenon of these smaller secondary markets, a lot of these beachfront markets, uh, or a lot of these mountain range or uh, mountain region markets, rather, that have seen demand surge as folks can work from anywhere. And, uh, you know, historically you've heard the term boom town. So I love the play on words, calling it a zoom town. But um, when you look at markets like Greenville, South Carolina, for instance, or many of the secondary Florida coastal markets. So rather than Tampa, maybe look at Sarasota or Naples, Florida, those markets over the past year saw a lot of increased demand from renters who saw affordability, you know, it, perhaps you were living in Charlotte and now you can work from home. You go to Greenville, South Carolina. You know, Greenville's a good example of one of those areas that still has kind of a cool hip downtown, but you're living in a smaller metro and it's more affordable. Uh, you know, the, the Florida beach markets, perhaps folks moved out of Manhattan and Boston, planned on working in a, a warmer area for six months, maybe extended that to a full year lease. And as a result, we saw demand really surge, particularly so because these smaller markets just don't have as many apartments to rent. So operators saw themselves with uh, more ability to increase rents both on the new lease and renewal side. Uh, and by the way, we've actually seen a pretty big increase in investor demand in those Zoomtown top markets. And that's something that we think is pretty much a pandemic-driven trend as those uh, those performance readings have, have surged so much in those smaller markets, the Zoom towns, et cetera. Interesting. That may mean uh, if you have apartments in a Zoom town, it could be an interesting time to consider taking some chips off the table as maybe some of those tenants uh, over time start to move back uh, to the urban core, right, to get near their jobs. So we're talking with Carl Whitaker with uh, RealPage about the apartment market. And Carl, let's move our discussions more to the capital markets. Uh, what are you seeing for cap rate trends? It seems like there's just a lot of demand from investors in the space. There really is. And, and even to that point, Michael, we've seen that 
uh, a trailing 12-month sales volume for apartments in uh, September 2021 is actually above where it was pre-pandemic. So investment levels have already recovered to pre-pandemic marks. And by the way, that pre-pandemic mark at the time, let's say September 2019, at the time that was already a peak record investment volume. So we've seen uh, commercial real estate overall has got back to pre-pandemic norms, but multifamily in particular is gaining a much larger share of that than it has historically. Um, To that point, as you mentioned, increased investment activity, all those dollars flowing in, that is leading to some compressing cap rates. And overall, if you look at today's cap rate for multifamily, compare that to September 2019, for instance, uh, cap rates are down about 50 basis points across the country. Some areas, uh, some of the markets in North Carolina, some of these Zoom towns that I mentioned earlier, it's not uncommon to see cap rates that have compressed 70 to 90 basis points uh, versus pre-pandemic in some of those instances. So lots of investor demand, but the good news is that it is fueled by really solid renter demand too, in turn uh, fueling performance levels that in many cases probably is justifying investment despite a compressing cap rate. Well, it's interesting. We certainly saw a surge uh, this year in our brokerage activity, and a lot of our uh, buyers and sellers were telling us it's because at the time the the tax plan uh, Biden had was to you know increase uh, capital gains and to really limit the 1031 exchange, and we saw a lot of increased activity uh, for that. And so I think it'd be interesting to see now that, that those are off the pay for list. It seems like for the moment, you know, if things start to to slow down in investment sales next year. Um, what else have you found that's kind of interesting to, uh, uh, to, to my audience related to the multifamily world, the investment market? What do you, is, are there certain uh, areas or, or certain property types that you, you're seeing more compression or more demand? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the timing of our discussion today is great. We had a webcast earlier this week where we talked about uh, commercial real estate investment, uh, obviously primarily focused on apartments, being that that's the space RealPage plays in. But uh, we did have some commentary on other investment sectors or commercial real estate sectors. And what really struck me is um, the the historic preference, let's call it, of investing in office space. That was uh, losing a little bit of ground to apartments throughout the 2000s and certainly in the 2010s decade. But today we're seeing apartments make up 44% of all commercial real estate investment. And just for context, that was uh, in, the, in the, the low to mid 20% uh, two decades ago. So you've got uh, a share of investment in the apartment space that makes up twice as much as it has historically. And that is coming at the expense, or I shouldn't say the expense perhaps, but that is coming at, uh, or pulling out of the office and retail investment pool to some degree. Uh, having said that, we have seen some uh, some pretty impressive increases in industrial um, investment. I think that's just a, a reflection of you know the the preference for additional storage space for distribution and logistics operators, but also data centers too. And I think you know even though data centers is still kind of a niche within that industrial space, we've seen a lot of increased investment there. And I think that's going to be a, a trend we want to continue watching over the next five to ten years. Wow, that is really interesting that it, that the volume had doubled as far as it, the multifamily share of the investment sales volume. That's just, just really incredible. You know, and one of the things that uh, has kind of been the talk for the last year was 
the uh, possible severe impact of the eviction moratoriums. Uh, you guys tracked performance uh, really well. What did you actually see? Yeah, we saw um, the, the the rent payment, the uh, collect rent collections. Let's call it. Uh, we've been tracking that really closely since February and March of 2020. And to, to a lot of people's surprise, we saw that rent collections never really took that big of a hit. I want to say at the lowest point across the country, it was something like 94 percent, 95 percent of rent payments were collected on time. But if you compare that to a pre-pandemic level, it was only down about two or two and a half percent. You know, it's we've never seen a hundred percent of rents be collected at any point in history. So the fact that rent collections were still at 95 percent showed us that, uh, you know, the eviction moratorium or a lot of this um, uh, economic occupancy versus paying occupancy uh, we, we, we don't think that there's going to be too much of a hit in terms of the overall occupancy levels uh, due to eviction moratoriums expiring. Now, the one exception there would be some markets uh, certainly going to have some, some more challenges, uh, particularly when you look at some of the more um, the, 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 the West Coast markets, some of your Northeast markets in particular. Uh, maybe some uh, moratoriums that are issued at a local level that extend beyond the federal or state level. So that may be a, a something to watch in those instances. But really in the market rate conventional multifamily housing space, which is largely the space that, uh, that our groups uh, operate in, we didn't see payments, payment collections lag too significantly. And I don't think we're going to see occupancy take too big of a hit as a result. Right. And we don't want to uh, belittle uh, investors that maybe have uh, a small amount of rental properties or rental homes or duplexes, quads or things like that, where if, if a tenant or two is not paying, it's really more devastating. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's a great point. I'm glad you bring that up. I think that's where you see that um, those challenges certainly expanded and, uh, you know, maybe some more some more challenges there and maybe some some, uh, you know, some a more hands-on approach on how to stabilize uh, things in that part of the market. That's a great point. Right. And it's interesting then when you look back at what the really results of the eviction moratorium were, hopefully it, it helped a lot of tenants that, that and helps, hopefully it helped the ones that really needed the help. Uh, but who did it hurt on the landlord side? It hurt the, the mom and pops, uh, the individuals, the folks who, who have uh, saved up a lot of, you know, used a lot of money and saved it and invested in real estate. Yep, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Carl, what would you leave our audience with related to multifamily moving forward? Overall, I would say that things, again, still look really good. This is a good time to be in the space. Um, you know, I think we've really been keeping an eye on some trends that have, uh, you know, we're developing pre-pandemic, but have been uh, accelerating since, you know, whether that's the build for rent market, whether that's um, some things such as construction delays, you know, I, I think construction delays are something that we saw were, you know, an, an issue in some instances, even in 2018, 2019. Uh, it's just in some instances hard to get these apartments permitted. Uh, a lot of NIMBY, um, a lot of NIMBYism impacting permitting timelines, getting people on site sometimes is an issue to actually build the properties. But now we're seeing these supply delays become uh, compounding 
uh, simply because you have so many of the supply chain disruptions. So I would think that's going to be something we want to watch next year. Uh, I'm certainly hopeful that it's not uh, as big of an issue as some folks are maybe forecasting, but I do think that those supply delays is something that we want to keep an eye on, especially too as we see increased construction in other housing types, i.e. single-family housing and build-for-rent housing, because Overall, you have a, a limited number of construction workers, and then that's getting shared amongst a larger pie. So perhaps that could be something we want to keep an eye on. Yeah. And along with labor costs, you really just have your, your material cost as well that seems to be really increased uh, for uh, most of everything today, right? Yeah, yeah. If you look at some CPI metrics and if you look at construction surveys, I mean, there's there's certainly some increasing prices out there. And, you know, that does create some challenges for for builders. Yeah. And also you think about performance wise, if, you know, if hey, not in my backyard, don't build here. Construction costs are higher. Labor costs are higher. In, in, uh, in some cases, that really benefits performance of the existing properties, right? Less yeah, supply. yeah, certainly it can. Yeah, no, certainly supply. can. Well, Carl, great for uh, information, sir. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Always a pleasure. All right. And for more information from Carl Whitaker and RealPage, visit RealPage.com. And thank you for visiting us. Please let us know what you think. And please join us on your favorite social media. So until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh. And join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Buxton. Take leasing site selection and due diligence to the next level. Make the right decisions with on-demand mobile data. Visit buxtonco.com. By Bull Realty. For proven commercial real estate asset and occupancy solutions, contact me. My email is michael at bullrealty.com. By Commercial Agent Success. Expert level commercial real estate broker training. Cloud Access One, up to 21 one-hour videos. Visit CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Thank you for reviewing, subscribing, and sharing America's commercial real estate show.